Hey everybody, Becca here. As I'm recording this intro, we're nearing the end of July, but this podcast episode was actually recorded almost two months ago as a follow-up to a sermon preached by Bill Mims on the Third Commandment, that we shall not take the Lord's name in vain. His sermon, preached on May 27th, gave us so much to meditate on and process that we wanted to spend more time exploring the concepts he shared through another episode of our audio appendix. But unfortunately, we did not get it out to you that week. We apologize. So now, here we are, later than we hoped, but here nonetheless. If you haven't listened to Bill's sermon, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's available right here on this podcast feed, and it's called The Name of God. Again, that's from May 27th. Otherwise, happy listening, y'all. I hope you enjoy this conversation between me and Derek Mondu and Tim Latham. Now, here's the episode. Hello, and welcome back uh, to the audio appendix. Becca Payne here, Thirds Communications Director, and I am excited to have Derek Mondu. Hello. And Tim Latham. Hi. With me today to discuss uh, Bill Mims's latest sermon on the Third Commandment, the name of God, and not taking that in vain. Hmm. Um, we do this podcast every so often uh, when we have the opportunity to, um, when we feel like the the topic that we started talking about on Sunday morning really demands more conversation, um, and it tends to also be stuff that we really care about. Mm. Um, and this topic, uh, the name of God and um, how that plays out in the political sphere around us is, I think, near and dear to um, our hearts, the, the people sitting around this table right now. So we hope you guys are excited to talk about this with us. Mm. Um, so... Before we jump into this, I think we want to say a couple disclaimers, Um, and I think the first thing to say is, let's be honest, this is a really hard topic, right? (laughs) And it's complicated, Um, and there's lots of different opinions, there's lots of different experts out there, um, there's lots of different voices speaking into these topics. Um, So we understand that you might disagree with us. We might disagree with each other around this table. Um, so there is a grace umbrella. There's a mercy umbrella mm-hmm. here. Um, and I think we just need to go in understanding that this is hard and it's complicated. Yeah. yeah another disclaimer is we can't summarize political theology in, in thir- whatever time in 30 we minutes. spend here. I mean, Christians have wrestled with this for a long time. I, I do want to push us uh, yeah. since the beginning. I do want to push us a little bit to say we, the dis- disclaimers are great. Um, but we also, um, there are real things to, to learn and to, to be taught and to foundations to stand on. And so mm-hmm. it isn't just, well, it's been complicated for a long time, so everybody's right. Right. Um, it's been complicated for a long time, and everyone's been wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and um, probably more likely than right. And just to find sort of a third way through, yeah. a mm-hmm. way to try to, mm-hmm. uh, what are some things that we can really wrestle with that maybe we're not generally wrestling with yeah. and maybe should be yeah. more? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, and I would also encourage you guys, if you haven't listened to Bill Mims' sermon from this past week, yes. uh, I think that's a really great starting place. Um, that's a very gracious sermon it's yeah. on beautiful. politics. beautiful, yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, I also would love to just have a quick recap of the sermon. So, Tim, would you mind just kind of going over yeah. what Bill shared with us uh, last weekend? I would love to. Um, yeah, so hopefully you'll you'll listened to, to Bill's sermon. I, I also It's not the official third policy, but I generally think that um, when people do a great job in the sermon, that's what helps inspire these podcasts. So mm-hmm. I think one of my mm-hmm. dreams would sometime to be to have a podcast follow uh, a sermon I preach. So <laughs> my bill, uh, provoking even more thought. Um, I was just going to walk through some of the things, uh, some of the notes that I took during Bill's sermons. This is again not a, a full mm-hmm. um, retelling of, of Bill's sermon, but what really stuck out to me uh, during his introduction, he had this uh, great way of describing the Ten Commandments, where he said they were. God's answer to a world of disordered worship, um, and that through these commandments, God was bringing us back to living his covenant life and being his covenant people. Um, the two big points of Bill's sermon were how God's names uh, reflect God's character, and he talked more explicitly about um, our proclivity to use God's name in the political arena, disconnected from his person, his presence, and his power. Uh, he said that too often many of us confuse our Christian beliefs with our political views or partisan labels. Um, he quoted Jim Wallace on Lincoln, saying that it's not whether God is on our side, but praying and worrying about whether we are on God's side. Mm. Bill told some great stories uh, based on his history in the political arena. 
um, where he's interacted with people who use God on um, on their the, the use God on my side stance to argue for gun rights or corporate tax cuts. He told a great story about a liberal Democrat and a conservative Republican who are both Catholic and voted on the Catholic understanding of pro-life, um, where they voted against the death penalty and against abortion. And the Republican was criticized for being too liberal, the Democrat for being too conservative. And Bill said that these two men were guided by the tenets of their faith rather than the pressures of their partisans. Mm-hmm. And then he really challenged us to, to build relationships with people who think differently and have different beliefs, what he called the intentional formation of unpredictable relationships. So those are the highlights for me. That's one of Corey's phrases yeah. that I love, the uh, the intentional formation of unpredictable Ooh, relationships. So good. That's really, yeah. Good. Yeah. really challenging. Uh, did you all have any other thoughts on, on Bill Sermon to throw into the, the recap section? I mean, I think the, the one thing I would say is we've often read the third commandment as do not use the Lord's name in vain, like do not curse. Yeah. Okay, I've checked that box. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So really, what does this mean? I think it, what Bill was sharing with us last weekend was that it's so much more pervasive um, than just not cursing. Right. Yeah, um, invoking God's name for a sense of authority or power was yes. common with oaths. And mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, is because, well, yeah. you're not God. You, you know, mm-hmm. earth is his right. footstool, the heavens are his. There's, mm-hmm. What can you swear on? Mm-hmm. To bring any kind of authority and power to your position or your dealings with other people, mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's a way in which he did a great job of helping us see that we actually are we're reappropriating that name in our politics to invoke power right. apart from God's character. I thought it was a really great yes. observation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so I think as we get into this, it's important to have uh, maybe a brief history lesson, um, give us some background mm-hmm. on. The history of the church and how we've interacted with uh, the powers of the world. Um, and so I think a good place to start is remembering that Christians haven't always been in a place of power. They haven't right. always been in a place of exercising Christian principles through governments. Um, really, if we go back uh, to Constantine in early 300 AD time, um, that was really the first time that he declared, well, he declared himself the emperor of Christian people and um, as the emperor of Rome. And it's the first time that we really see Christianity or Christian ideals embodied through a kingdom of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like Christians went from having no power to having power. All the power. All the power. <laughs> all the dominion um, and all the authority in a very human way. Yeah sense. And since that time, we have seen things like the Spanish Inquisition, the Crusades, we have seen imperialism, taking Christianity and colonizing um, other countries uh, and forcing Christianity upon other peoples. Um, And we've seen this, I mean, it is like all the time, every... Yeah, that's a great point. I think it's a great Every generation. Yeah, it's a really great point that... um, since the conversion of Rome, mm-hmm. political power and coercive pol- political power and the aims of the kingdom of God in the world have been intertwined mm-hmm. and have been very difficult. And sometimes, you could argue, uh, result in some of the best things you've seen the church do, mm-hmm. also the worst things you've seen yeah. the church do. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody said, I can't remember who said it. But, um, it's always stuck with me, but um, the, the church's response to injustice before the conversion of Rome was martyrdom. Mm-hmm. Mm. They would uh, they would stand for their faith and their yes. beliefs and be killed for it. Yeah. But then after after they have power, mm-hmm. you begin to see theological justifications for the use of course of power in the world for God's purposes. Mm-hmm. It's just it's been it's been difficult since then. That's a yes. Yeah. Well, it's like the the internal biblical like ethic. What like what the Bible shows is an ethic of people who are oppressed or who don't have power and how they react to a political system as the people who are suffering. And then all of a sudden, like now we're trying to apply some of these ethics uh, yeah. when the power dynamic has completely shifted. And it's... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I would say well, one theological history thing too, we can't talk about this a lot, but I do think uh, it is important to notice that there, there was a theocracy in the Old Testament. Um, there were these times where God went, people went to yeah. war with God yeah. and God went to war with mm-hmm. people. Um, and that is just very different. So, you know, we talked about the conversion of Rome being a very important touch point. I think the rejection of God as king uh, over Israel is another really important touch mm. point. When they wanted 
rulers like the rest of the world, they wanted a political reality like the rest of the world, is another real important thing. And so I think oh, yeah. when you talk about politics, sometimes people reach back to that theocracy mm. and go, well, we can kill people <laughs> or mm-hmm. be involved in right. war because God's done that before. And I just I think it's just important to recognize it's a very different time in history that has ended yeah. and uh, and that is much more, much more complicated when... Um, when nations are going to war with God Himself, well, and uh, and what sort of what we what we, what we yeah. experience in modern times, and the, I mean the Old Testament even shows like it doesn't say show one form of government; it shows a political progression, right? Like mm-hmm. when we when he when God gives the Israelites the judges, it's because they're not content just following a, a God that's not fully present, so He gives them these temporary leaders, and then by the end of Judges, it's like yeah. well, we don't want these temporary people; we want an actual king. Yeah, and then, that's so, right. like God keeps on giving yeah. the people the government that they want, mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe how He was yeah. originally planning on leading the people. One one commentary, uh, one, one commentary read. I can't remember who it was. I'll, I'll try to search uh, for it, but said um, that in the Old Testament, God is. Um, he is uh, against threats to the promise, mm-hmm. and ultimately the promise of the mm-hmm. Messiah, whether they come from within or without. And so that his, his, uh, he treats Israel very similarly to that he treats the nations of the world yeah. mm-hmm. when they're obedient and disobedient. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's a much more just uh, experience of that. But anyway, yeah. I, just want, I think it's another good disclaimer just, Such to, a good just disclaimer. to put out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so I mean, I think we can't have this conversation without talking about the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. You know, what that looks like um, and perhaps how it is in conflict with the kingdoms of this world. Yeah. Um, and so let's, let's talk about that. What, you know, how is the kingdom of God political? Yeah. Um, and what do we mean by that? And so what is the, what really does the kingdom of God have to say about our identity, about our allegiance, yeah. about our worship? That's great. Um, yeah, well, I mean, the key, the first thing, I think, just recognizing that the kingdom of God is political. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still think we're in a place where we struggle with this as the church. I think uh, a lot of us are on board with that, that we recognize that, oh, there's a lot of language in the scriptures that describe us as citizens. Uh, we are a benevolent monarchy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have a good, we are, mm-hmm. we're the mm-hmm. citizens of a good king. Uh, God's movement in the world to redeem the world included creating a nation for himself which is political, um, mm-hmm. involving in conflict and relationships with other nations. I mean, it's uh, it's hard to make the argument that the kingdom of God is apolitical. Right. It's, right. it's not, not political. Right. Um, but I think starting there is is really, really good. The first place I think you would see the language, where the language comes from, uh, you see it in the New Testament, obviously, Jesus announces mm-hmm. the kingdom yeah. of heaven is here. Jesus gets that language. Everything that we can tell comes from um, the Septuagint and its translation of Daniel chapter 2, where we read, I just want to read it real quick. Um, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So it's the first time we hear about the kingdom of God being created, and um, We'll talk a bit more later about how the kingdom of God is in conflict with all of the other kingdoms of the world. But I think that's where this idea comes from is, is straight from Scripture. There are a lot of other places. I'll yeah. just hit a couple real quick. So, um, you know, we mentioned already uh, the kingdom of God. It's a political reality. Uh, we are citizens in it. We have a sovereign who is a good king. Um, the Gospels uh, were, were blatantly uh, political um, documents. Mm-hmm. They were called Gospels, which, mm-hmm. were, which were used at that time to promote the theological validity of Rome and Caesar. Mm-hmm. And so by uh, the early gospel authors referring to these things as gospel, they were saying there's another king actually right. who is greater than Caesar, mm-hmm. which is a fiercely political act, yeah. which brought a, lo- mm-hmm. a lot of condemnation mm-hmm. and suffering on the church. But um, I, that's how convinced they were that, uh, that this was a political reality. And they were right. Um, we I also love how in the uh, Old Testament and in our series, you've noticed this, uh, we're a kingdom of priests. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. I was gonna. I was gonna say. Um, I had a. I know. I had a professor who believed that biblical theology, like it all came from Exodus. That really Exodus is the key to unlocking everything. And right there in nineteen five and six, a treasure, a treasure possession, and a kingdom of priests or priestly kingdom gives a political ideology, identity, and and purpose to, to God's people. So Yeah, and it's, I mean, the idea of the new humanity even starts there. Like, there's a whole yeah. new kind of human society God wants to create in the world, mm-hmm. you know, in order to redeem the world. And mm-hmm. so it is fierce. It's always been fiercely, um, fiercely political. Uh, 
Psalm two is a great example. Why do the nations rage? Right. Why do they? Uh, why are they uh, moving against God and against His anointed one? It's just all over, mm. all over the scriptures. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I think it's just really important that um, you know the Bible makes claims on our citizenship mm. as being in heaven, a part of the New Jerusalem, and even I think the ultimate v- vision of this is that we will reign mm-hmm. with Christ over creation, which is right. again, uh, mm-hmm. which is again, this is all political mm-hmm. kind of ruling language. We just have to realize that the kingdom of God is political and we have to settle into that reality more and more. Yeah, so that if that is true, then how <laughs> how do we order these allegiances? Mm. Yeah. Um, how do we frame our, um, I guess, our identity as members in ki- in God's kingdom, but also in the kingdom of America. Um, yeah. And what kind of tricky territory do we get into as we try to balance these two things? Um, lots of tricky territory. Lots of really... <laughs> it's really, really easy, tricky. actually. It's a very simple yeah. answer. <laughs> like, uh, no. um, yeah, anybody who peddles the simple answer to this is a liar. Um, <laughs> I think one of the biggest things we've talked about is we, and, and that it's important to notice is that we, we, we get the entire context of this thing wrong, even like our orientation to it mm-hmm. wrong. I'm, I'm speaking for myself. I think it relates to most of us, but um, I grew up in the church uh, and as a young, you know, kind of in my early twenties when I'm first starting to think politically for the first time, late, late teens, early twenties, realizing that, um, Oh, I, I'm an American first and I'm trying to navigate uh, a, messy American politics and the landscape and try to infuse it with biblical values and try to um, bring yeah. biblical values right. into yes. this, into this mm-hmm. thing. Um, and that's just the wrong, it's the absolutely wrong place to start. And uh, because our primary identity is that we are, we are new citizens of this new humanity. Mm-hmm. That is the kingdom of God. Um, it is the defining political reality, not mm-hmm. just of now of, of, of history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and this, the, it is, it is the starting point. So, we, as followers of Jesus, are supposed to be in the world foretastes, ambassadors, outposts of this defining political ra- reality of human history, which mm-hmm. is the kingdom of God. And so what we've done, I think, in, in many ways, is we've allowed, uh, and I, I had allowed and we've allowed an earthly kingdom and earthly kingdoms to tell us how to play the game, mm-hmm. right? to define right. political mm-hmm. reality, to define the rules, to define engagement, engagement to define yeah. identity. And I think that's um, that whole context is wrong. We we should have the politics of the kingdom of God as a, as as a followers of Jesus in conflict with all of the politics <laughs> of the kingdoms of this world and try to figure out how to navigate that relationship and instead what we have we have the kingdoms of the world who are fracturing the kingdom of God into fiefdoms mm. that reflect the politics of the, those kingdoms in the world. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I think just to make it a little bit more applicable probably yeah. for for our listeners um, there's, Thanks, Tim. <laughs> I think this comes down to, to what we talked about off mic about the difference sometimes between politics and, and partisan politics. Whereas like, yeah. so like if we're saying the kingdom of God is political, um, what does that mean for us? It's like, I don't think that, um, the kingdom of God politics exists for a two party system, but the American system does. And so what we do mm-hmm. is we try and force the, the kingdom of God politics into those boxes. Um, I, I think it's important That's that right. like to notice how we're allowing, um, the the empire around us and the culture around us to to let the the kingdom of God influence or inform our understanding as opposed mm-hmm. to govern it. I think that's what you're saying. It's, yeah. it's a priority. Yes. It's a difference in priority. Empire is a great word. That, that's a loaded word. It means a lot. Right. I still think we should use it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think it comes down to empire versus kingdom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And most, I think most of us, and this 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 feels like really like a little bit more academic, but it's not. I mean, what you want to vote for on the smallest local mm-hmm. level can be influenced by empire. Like what, what, what American values have shaped you to think certain ways and act certain ways politically. That's mm-hmm. empire. That's yeah. empire of man. That's the world telling you and defining how you are forming you versus kingdom, right. which is mm-hmm. uh, God and his ways mm-hmm. and his community forming those things. I mean, I mean, just to make it like really basic, I think that right now in, in 2018, like in our political landscape, I don't think this isn't even on one side or the other, but it's, it's not very controversial to say that both sides that there's there's really not much space in the middle for agreeing and that mm-hmm. neither side yeah. there's no universal agreement for for the source mm-hmm. of truth and and what's actually out there right that's not true in the bible like yes. the bible mm. shows a lot of ways that people can come together and there is like common 
uh, a common source of truth, which just in itself should counter the empire mentality of politics. Yeah, that's right. So as, as you know, you think about how is this different, Becca, that's a great mm-hmm. question. Like, um, how is it different? Well, I think that's the first, the kingdom of God is, is political. When we are political beings, yes. everything that we do as Christians are political acts. Like, mm-hmm. the, I mean, it's like loving your children, right. not loving your children. Right. Yeah. You are making a statement about who is right. God, who is sovereign. Mm. And it's really all Jesus's fault. This is all Jesus's fault. Yeah. <laughs> he, if you want to blame somebody, blame like Jesus. the centrality of the Lordship of Christ is what makes this so, uh, mm-hmm. so defining for us is that mm-hmm. we, everything that we do is in, is defining and, con, um, and revealing our relationship with Jesus mm-hmm. and his Lordship or, or lack of Lordship in parts of our lives. Yeah. And so yeah, everything that we do is, is political. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm just seeing that, um, you know, whether we want to use the, the term kingdoms or kingdom versus empire, whatever the terminology yeah. is, these things are in conflict. They are. Yes. yes <laughs> and they are yeah. constantly in conflict. Yeah. And I think that is, that's the second important thing to recognize. So the kingdom of God's political, we are political beings. And, um, this is crucial. The kingdom of God is in triumphant conflict with every mm-hmm. other human kingdom, yes, including America. One of my favorite quotes is by Tony Campolo. You may live in the best Babylon in the world, mm-hmm. but she's still Babylon, and the church is called to come out of her. Right. Right? Yes. And that, that raises, I mean, that used to make, when I first heard that, I was furious. And um, because I had never, no, no one had ever challenged my allegiance mm-hmm. to America mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's really, really true, and it's completely okay mm-hmm. <laughs> to recognize mm-hmm. that God's kingdom is in conflict with every other mm-hmm. earthly kingdom. That's what's happening in Daniel chapter 2 when God creates this kingdom, yeah. and it, it, it grows to consume the whole earth. It destroys the statue that represents the earthly kingdoms. What he's saying is the kingdom of God is in triumphant conflict with every earthly kingdom, and it will one day be all that there is. Right. Yeah. And so that, that's, that can be hard for us. Um, I mean, I mean, this is picked up in the New Testament too. What's Jesus' ultimate title, political titles? He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so when when all of the kings get together, and they're in the room, there is one who reigns over them. When right. all the lords are together, mm-hmm. there is one who's mm-hmm. Lord over all of mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And so there are there. It's going to be in conflict, and I think we have to mm-hmm. we have to embrace this as Christians. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that we are being um, unpatriotic. Yes. Yeah. It and doesn't. I, and I think it's it's important to to really dive into like, why are these in conflict? Yeah. Um, yeah because the kingdom of man, the kingdoms of this world are, mm. will always be um, aimed towards self-preservation, <laughs> protecting itself, um, policing, constraining behavior. Yes. Um, instead of, transforming lives from the inside out, which is what we believe that Jesus Christ can do. And Bill talked about that in a good way during yeah. the sermon about the desire to see transformed yeah. lives. And you're, you're right. I mean, I think a lot of people talk about government in that way, that the best thing government can do is to restrain evil. Yes. It, it definitely can't make you love, mm-hmm. <laughs> which would be right. probably the greatest political uh, act as Christians would be to love enemy, love mm-hmm. neighbor, mm-hmm. love God. Um, it can't force you to do that. It can't force you to do that, but it can, it can, it can punish you for murdering your neighbor. Yes. Which is, and that's, and the, those are, those are very different aims. Yeah. And one of the ways to pick this up is, um, you know, it, it, you could expand that out. Like, so it's, it's not just that those aims are different. Um, no party, let's just talk about the two party system here in the United States. Neither party can encapsulate all of the kingdom of God's values. Right. So when you think right. about kingdom ethic, there's at least two categories. One is private morality, mm-hmm. right? What I do with my body, mm-hmm. what I could, what I do even with my money, what I do with my family. These these things are good concerns, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then public morality, right? How do I care for the poor, systems, structures, institutions, neighborhoods? Those things are in. Um, in two different categories that pretty evenly match our parties right now. And mm-hmm. so if, if you... Well, I think it's it's important to note, sorry, uh, just to... Yeah. Caring for the poor from a public sense. From a public sense. No, and yeah. you can there privately arguments, also care for the yeah. poor. Yes, that's right. Uh, yeah, so that's it's right. just important. That's right. Yeah, yeah, what you do on your own versus yes. individually versus what we do publicly. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's sorry, right. Sorry, continue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 in terms of like private injustices versus systemic injustices. Yes. yes. And, yeah, yeah. and whether government should deal with them mm-hmm. or constrain them or legislate them, right? Yes. And so uh, I think the kingdom cares about both of those things. And Jesus is renewing all of those things. That is an abs- that is absolute biblical truth. Nobody can argue with that, um, and yet we find ourselves constrained to to choose a party 
that picks one set or certain sets of mm-hmm. parts of God's character and say that these are the ones that are more important than these other parts or sets of God's character and work in the world. We, I just think that's it's very, very dangerous. It puts us in the place of uh, godhood to mm-hmm. choose, well, God cares more about X person than Y person, yeah. or God cares more about life than he does justice, or he cares about... Yeah. I mean, it's just there are hard yeah. things to, well, yeah. to, to, to do. So yeah. can, can you give us... An example of this, what, what, like well, before we get to that, I just I, even if we could before we get, I think <laughs> I think Becca wants to get more specific. Yeah, but I even do. more broadly, like you mentioned, like that's true of the the two American parties. I think that's probably true of of every political party. And I think yes. in some ways it's true yes. of of any uh, infrastructure or organization within the the empire because mm-hmm. there is this desire to have. Mm-hmm. Um, to have like common sense solutions, to have like a plan, to have a formula that um, that the base desire like, the, is not the flourishing of all humanity. Right, right, right. It's the flourishing like, of my if, humanity, yeah. you, my you, people. You can like if yes. you run a bit like your business, like oh, I want to make profits. Well, then now you are no longer completely adhering to a biblical ethic. Like, yeah. and that the the biblical ethic is so countercultural and so extravagant and so mm-hmm. non common sense yeah. that it's I think it's impossible for. It can't be one of our goals to have a political party that's completely yes. aligned. So we're not yes. we're not advocating yeah. that like, oh we need to have that. And I think then France has one of the most political parties. So they they have a very short. If you know this, it's fascinating. Very short election season. Um, so you get like almost no time to do any publicity. And so mm. there's like like 17, 18 different like legit candidates. <laughs> and, they, they, and all of their platforms are just it's insane to see so much wow. differentiation. Yeah. But you're totally right. So even with seventeen choices. Right, like none of them come close to embodying a, a full biblical ethical. Well, I think it's it's important to just note, look at the the global church. We have right. so many denominations. We can't agree on yes. many things yeah. um, yes. that we. So yeah. we've started these different denominations. If we can't agree on baptism, then we probably can't agree on what we do with our taxes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so I think you know I, I think one of the best ways for us to to reclaim this idea is to um, it's actually. The politics of embodiment mm-hmm. are probably, and this is going to get to the specifics. So, yeah. I think you know, if, if 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 we had to say what is what is the core thing uh, the Bible is asking us to do, it's to embody the political rally uh, reality, uh, embody the political reality of God's reign of right. the kingdom of God mm-hmm. in our lives. We're foretastes of this kingdom that is to come, and we do it for the flourishing of all of human life. Um, and that's that's a politics of embodiment. So I would say paying your taxes and voting are things that you should do as a citizen. Mm-hmm. But um, what you have to do as a Christian is to wrestle and labor and pray and grieve yeah. until we as a community mm. are embodying the values of the kingdom of God. Mm. And so specifically, you want to know what, what, what might that look like? Is that what you're yeah. asking? Yeah, what might that look like? Or like how do we see this conflict play out? In the yeah. in where in our specific place and time, which is America in 2018. I, I think that if I could start, I think yeah, that the um, I think that the conflict comes from uh, us as humans or the political parties trying to interpret a like a kingdom of God ethic. So, like, if I was to say, I think one of the first political things in the Bible is that. Um, everyone is created in the image of God. It's a very political statement. But yes. mm-hmm. Republicans and Democrats or conservatives and liberals interpret that very differently. And so specifically, um, so Bill who, mentioned... Who, who, would, who, would, uh, who, who would you say Republicans think are made in the image of God? Sorry, continue. Um, Republic, sorry, say that again. I missed it. <laughs> Animals are not made in the image of God. No, I'm, I'm, just, was, I'm distracting everybody. Becca, Becca was trying to get her pro-animal agenda no. onto the podcast again. She's for PETA. She's all for PETA. <laughs> Uh, she wrote animals on a piece of paper. I had no idea what was going on. So yeah, so like I think it's a really great statement. Right. I think practical would be really helpful. Yeah, so, yeah I want to. So yeah, yeah, you go, go. specifically, uh, like just because um, Bill mentioned uh, issues of life uh, mm-hmm. in the sermon, where he yeah. talked about the conservative Republican yeah. and the liberal Democrat, who are both Catholic, and they adhered to the Catholic position on on the sanctity of life, which which I I agree with. And so they were um, anti-abortion and as well as anti-death penalty. And yes. so for them. Um, the way they were interpreting it is like it led to um, to some disagreement with their political party party because they were adhering to uh, I'd say a kingdom ethic in that context. Um, so they were they were pro all of life. They're pro all of life. Forced into one vote, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But they're so, pro all of life instead of just pro unborn life. Right. Or, or pro life. Pro life of a prisoner. Or pro. Yeah. Prisoner. And I think that we could expand that to say that I mean, there's 
there's a lot of politics that could probably come under what does it mean to be pro-life if we expand it not just to um, to unborn, to uh, elderly people who may be like, are at the oh, end of life. Absolutely. Um, That's a could, huge place in mm-hmm. our culture where, uh, you know, we're just uh, almost like discarding yeah. the elderly. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the talk about a, a political ethic mm-hmm. in the scriptures mm-hmm. is the elderly have this mm-hmm. place of reverence, this place where we, you take care of them, yeah. like you honor them. Mm-hmm. That is the, I mean, there's mm-hmm. almost nothing in American mm-hmm. life that does that. And I would say that like, again, this is my opinion, as I would say, uh, for the most part, like conservatives talk a lot more about the right to life for unborn children. And they talk about um, some ancillary parts of the right of life as far as personal freedoms, mm-hmm. where you would have... Oh, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right to liberty. Yeah, and, right to yeah, liberty and right to freedom. And yep. property. And you would have uh, liberals or Democrats who talk more about the, the right to life for prisoners or people on death mm-hmm. row or the quality mm-hmm. of life for poor people yes. about mm-hmm. access to medical care and access to right. welfare mm-hmm. programs. And, and mm-hmm. so... The, That's good. Yeah, so I think that... They're both kind of coming from this idea that life is important. Mm-hmm. And as a Christian, you could say everyone is created in the image of God and therefore life should be important. But how does that make it into our political activism or our ideology or how we vote? And I think that's where the question and the conflict often And I think we would all agree, and maybe you disagree, that we can't say that one of these is more important than the other. Right. Like, right. In the sense that God doesn't say that. Yes. Yeah. Right? And and I think that that then be, then we begin to see the problem of, uh, the, or the the failing of a two party system or the failing mm-hmm. of letting empire letting you know the yeah, kingdoms I think of the that, world I think determine that's, our politics. That's very clear that like the God, for God, life is life, and and all life matters, and everyone is created in the image of Him, and you can't um, prefer one person versus the other. I I got really excited when we were talking about this, and so I brought in a book of mine by one of my idols, this guy named Will Campbell. But he got really famous during the civil rights movement because he was a white Baptist yeah. pastor who um, marched with Dr. King, was really active in the civil rights movement, and so people thought he, some people thought he was really liberal. And then afterwards, he started this whole prison ministry to Klansmen and white supremacists. And wow. he writes in this book, he's like, I don't know, is my is my friend John Lewis who was getting beat up for marching the least of these? Or is my friend the the person who was on a horse swinging a club the least of these? And how like God Christ is calling me to love both of these people, and that's radical to yeah. somebody on both sides. That's right. Yeah, that's good. That's a really great wow. example of how the so kingdom embodiment would be. We have to uh, we have to fight and labor and pray and lament and work until we are embodying this, mm-hmm. caring for yeah. all of life as a community. Mm-hmm. I mean, as an individual, you can't do all of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And there are going to be places that you're more passionate about. Mm-hmm. I think we have to be really, really careful when we say this is this is the thing everyone has to be passionate about, mm-hmm. um, especially when we know God is passionate about all of these things. Mm-hmm. And that, that it drives us into a, a really rough tension yeah. where we need each other. We need these, these uh, unpredictable relationships, and we need the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think parties want to give us easy answers mm-hmm. and yes. talking points mm-hmm. of like, this is what you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just, it's just dangerous. Let's, can we push the life analogy further? So I think that's a great one. Like yeah. all of life. Can we talk about immigration? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is going to be wonderful. Um, I think it's another great example of how, um, yeah, the politics of embodiment are they're, they're What I mean by this, is, I think I want to use immigration as an example where, um, a lot of these complexities come come to play. They kind of crash mm-hmm. into one another. So, I, I think it's safe to say you don't. Uh, I don't think any biblical scholar or pastor would argue with me that like there is a there's a pretty clear ethic in the scriptures mm-hmm. um, commanded by God about like how His people should treat immigrants, mm-hmm. Sh- strangers, sojourners is a language that mm-hmm. the scriptures use. There's over a hundred and some different references mm-hmm. to this. And so, if we are thinking about ourselves as uh, kingdom embodiers first, kingdom citizens first. Well, politically, our first political act is, okay, well, we have to love the immigrant, mm-hmm. the sojourner in our land. I want to read a, just a couple of the yeah. passages j- just to illustrate how beautiful and radical, because um, mm-hmm. at the heart of this is God's hospitality, mm-hmm. his love. And um, and as those those of us who have been welcomed by God and have been experienced God's hospitality mm-hmm. in Christ, this is a really powerful way in which we see God's hospitality on display towards mm-hmm. the immigrant. So, uh, one example I love is Ezekiel 47. Um, it's talking about um, the land that Israelites have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, you shall allot this land um, as an inheritance for yourselves, your family, and for the sojourners who reside among you and have had children among you. 
they shall be to you as native-born children of Israel. Mm -hmm. Mm. With you, they shall be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Yeah. That the land and possessions that Israel have, they are not for themselves. Yes. And these are people that they were at war with. Some of them are people they were yeah. at war with. So, so Quote, unquote, enemies. Enemies. And so, you know, when we, when we think about immigration, we think, well, you know, well, what if, what if they didn't come here legally? What if, okay, mm -hmm. I, we can talk about that at another stage. Uh, these are people that were at war with them. <laughs> so you, you divide your possessions up to make a home and a space mm -hmm. where your mm -hmm. enemies can flourish when they live with you in your land. I mean, that's beautiful. There's, there's hundreds of these. In the New Testament, uh, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. It's yeah. pretty powerful to think mm -hmm. about, um, like, what, what if an immigrant mm -hmm. in our Richmond mm -hmm. that you see or that you talk about is actually an angel unaware? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You do, this, the least of these, you, you do this to me. And you think about Jesus actually being a refugee <laughs> yes. as well. Yes. And, and I, I think describe, describing ourselves as um, sojourners, is, yes. we, yeah. we, are, we are spiritual immigrants in a way. Yes. That this we world is going to be renewed. Our true home is the new heaven and the new earth. Mm -hmm. And we are displaced people. Mm -hmm. Right. We are a displaced people until it comes. And so I think there's this, it's, it's really, really clear. You should read them. They're great. There's over 100 different commands about how to treat the immigrant. That should be, every Christian everywhere should be wrestling with how do we mm -hmm. embody this in our lives and in our community care for mm -hmm. the immigrant. Mm -hmm. When you start to then try to work in the American two-party system, <laughs> what to do about immigration, it becomes really, really mm -hmm. complicated and starts to yeah. fail. I mean, it becomes, do we build a wall? Do we not build a wall? Um, it's, uh, it's really, really complicated. And what, I, what really is hard for me has been that uh, we don't ever talk about this hardly. Mm -hmm. we, we very rarely talk about what do what are we supposed to be doing in our families and our marriages to make space mm. for immigrants mm -hmm. in our in our uh, neighborhoods? Mm -hmm. and every parish area in this city have has immigrant communities. Right. Uh, there are people in them that are here legally. People who are here that are not here legally. Mm -hmm. Virginia has a a, a really really uh, large uh, illegal immigrant population, especially in the more rural areas. That's how a lot of our uh, food stuff gets done. And I've had students working with those communities over the years when I was at, at the University of Virginia. And it's just really ripe, real politics for us. Right. Like, how do we love the immigrant ourselves? Mm -hmm. Instead of uh, getting caught up in this uh, political debate, do we do what? Mm -hmm. Do we build a wall? Do we mm -hmm. not build a wall? Yeah. Yeah. I was even thinking about, <clears throat> I think one of the, the goals, one of the things I've heard talked about in the immigration debate, um, specifically lately with, with President Trump, is I think that he's uh, been talking about how it, one of his goals is to get the immigrants who come legally, he wants them to be like exemplary people, to be people who are really accomplished based on their human qualifications, um, which again, as, back as to, American as, as possible. American, which we gets back to like, it's really true. Where said, like it's an America first policy. Like that makes common, that, like, that makes logical sense if you're thinking America first, but if you're thinking gospel first, or you're thinking Bible first, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, and so like, that's the an easy way. The flourishing of all humanity yeah. <laughs> versus the flourishing of American humanity right. is a real conflict. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think I'd love, I think I just want to, I think helping us wrestle with that more mm -hmm. is going to place us more in a place of trust in Christ mm -hmm. and where we need to be. Yeah. As opposed to avoiding it and just saying, yeah, we need to build a wall or we need to not build a wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or we it's can't great. Have it's, any refugees. It's, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I think that's, it's a great example of it's just been missing for a long time. And thankfully there's some renewal happening there. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I think, we shouldn't have to argue a lot about that, right. but it yeah. still is a place right. where we argue a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, yeah, it's like drilled down. It's we are getting lost in the semantics of policy when, as you're saying, Derek, like the issue for us as Christians has already been decided. We yes. love the refugee among us. Yes. Um, yes. The Bible yes. Minces, no, yeah. minces no words, no words. about that. Right. Um, but our conversations are totally lost in... Yeah. Uh, how we do that? And I want like the we want the renewal of, of our political imagination. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like what what if yeah. what if like what if the response was, um, I mean how how are we love, loving the sojourner mm -hmm. in our in our mm -hmm. neighborhood? Mm -hmm. How are like how is God calling us mm -hmm. to show radical hospitality mm -hmm. to these people who have not earned hospitality? So you get to like earning it, like right. like they haven't earned mm -hmm. it. That's even more That's right. an example of grace, yeah. right? Yes. <laughs> you know. Yes. Um, and so I think it's it's just. Um, I would. I long for the day when um, we do wrestle really well with like what should our policies be. That is important, but I think it's this reframing around embodiment that really needs to happen most mm -hmm. most mm -hmm. for us because that's where the work is for us to do. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of work for America to do, right? And we can and, and many of us will be a part of that mm -hmm. and vote a part of that. But there's a lot of work for the church to do yeah. 
you know, over, over here. And, and there, ha- there are some churches who traditionally have done this really well. Like, and mm-hmm. that's right. what that's true. I, I think that um, right now this feels like a like a hot button political issue, but obviously immigration has been an issue for a long time, mm-hmm. and there are some mm-hmm. um, like conservative organizations and churches who have done mm-hmm. a really good job of mm-hmm. reaching out to refugees. And so mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's not really like a a down the middle thing. I think what you're getting at is more. It's like how does this kingdom ethic and this value of life mm-hmm. as, apply to immigration mm-hmm. and how we see the refugee mm-hmm. and the sojourner in light yeah. of what the Bible says about that. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I would say, you know, the last last thing I'll say on this in terms of how it's different, we we meet and engage in our politic differently. So the kingdom, I think, meets the kingdoms of this world um, at the point of sacrament mm-hmm. and yeah. embodiment. So incarnation and sacrament, not at coercion mm-hmm. um, and power. I mean, you know, that, that is actually a use of our power. I remember um, during... We, we used to do this at, at UVA during our uh, voting days. We'd have all of our students. The first thing we'd do is we'd, uh, we'd have communion together uh, at UVA Chapel with Mennonites who do this uh, yeah. pretty regularly. As our first political statement of the day is lordship. And then we went and we gave Caesar what was Caesar's. Yeah. It was beautiful. Like it really, mm-hmm. I, this really shaped me a lot that like, oh, wow, like this, this is actually the most important political mm-hmm. acts that we do. So we're, we, we should be using political words like uh, proclaiming the gospel, baptism, Eucharist. That's our citizen cl- citizenship right. class. Mm. <laughs> like, like that's the entry point to this kingdom. It's not through mm. policies, morality, right. legislation of any. It's, it's mm. actually, this is, so I would say, uh, what is our politic? How do we engage mm. the kingdom? It's sacramental and incarnational mm. more yeah. than it is anything yeah, else. Yeah. Like, it's a whole different way of, of like of thinking about it's a very different way of thinking about um, your politic mm. and your political engagement. Yeah. yeah, and Corey even told me once he quoted someone. I think he quoted someone, or he could have just said this: that every time you vote, then you then you repent. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I someone said he that, quoted, but yeah, I that's a great. That's from. Like that. That's where he, he um, quoted in the same person who said like, it was it was the same person who said as soon as um, he cr- congratulated the winner and then he joined the. The resistance, the resistance or something yeah. like that. Yeah. No matter who the winner is, yeah. Yeah. I, I will the congratulate them. Resistance. Yes, and then join the resistance. Yeah. Um, whoever won that, that, um, yeah, the office. So yeah. I, th- I think that that's that's great. I mean, it will always be a conflict for us. Um, it will always be a conflict for Christians um, yes. and people who claim their first citizenship as the kingdom of God. And just encourage yeah. people that it's a journey. Yeah. It, it yeah. is a journey. Like the, I, I've, uh, you know. I voted for um, George Bush twice. I voted for Obama twice. I did not vote in the last election. Mm. So you can fail politically as a, <laughs> as a Christian and a pastor, even at 41. Yeah, it was a mistake that I made. I think um, it, it wasn't disillusionment. Mm. Um, either, I, Clinton was going to carry Charlottesville very well. Right. <laughs> um, but I think part of it was an act, a little bit of an act of um, defiance, of just being frustrated mm-hmm. with where things were. Mm-hmm. Like I hated... Uh, where things had gotten, and mm-hmm. so I thought, well, this time I'm just going to go take communion, yeah, and not vote. Yeah. And, and I think I, we actually, sh- I actually really regret it. So I think I just just encourage you. It's a process. I I did not believe these things 20 years ago. Yeah, I was a single party person 20 years ago, and now I realize I, no party can really mm-hmm. embody. So I, I have to I have to pray and think and research mm. every midterm, right, yeah. and every uh, and every national election to really like to really discern with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Like what? What is he calling me to embody it with this one vote? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, or help help me embody in this. <laughs> and then one vote, we you know? repent for what we and can't then, do it, with that right, one. That's vote. right. That's right. Yeah. And I think I think something that Bill talked about in the sermon, and I think Becca was talking about earlier, is that the way that we can misuse the name of God to mm. weaponize that and to kind of yes. trick. I don't know. I don't want to say. No, I will say we'll trick people into mm-hmm. believing that there's one party that has mm-hmm. the the monopoly on oh, yeah. on on God and ethics, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's obviously a part of this. Is that, that that's what we're being? Yeah. And that shift is happening. Let's be yeah. prof- let's be prophetic. So uh, it's like you could just do that. Let's, <laughs> let's turn, be turn the yeah. prophet switch on. <laughs> prophet yeah. switch prophet is cap on. on. Okay, let's be totally prophetic. That switch has happened. Yeah. yeah. So now you're going to see the, the the rise of the Christian left. Right, mm-hmm. um, I think um, I, I, I think that we I think the Christian right has lost most of its credibility. You know, mm-hmm. I think evangelicalism has lost a lot of its credibility mm-hmm. because of our decision to operate out of political coercive mm-hmm. power over the last mm-hmm. forty years, primarily. Mm-hmm. You know, but now the switch is happening where 
oh, God actually wasn't here. He's here God now. is over here. He's over here now yeah, on the cause of... The pillar of fire is Right, right. The cause of, like, the, it is. <laughs> like, the pillar of fire is like, not here, it's here. Yeah. And so that now, because, now because we care about justice, right. we care about social movements, we right. care... Which God cared about both of these things equally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But now, you're right, I think, but you're seeing a shift now that God's name mm-hmm. and his power is going to be, if you're a Christian... You care about stuff in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you should be here. I can't even understand how mm-hmm. like anything good would be over here. Right. Like that's yeah. and that's exactly what was happening before. Right. And right. It, so it's just switching again. And I I I long for the I long for us to become a community where we talk a lot about politics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we pray a lot about politics, but not that. Yeah. We pray about this embodiment of mm-hmm. like how how is our small group, our family, our parish group, our discipleship group, mm-hmm. how are we embodying mm-hmm. the kingdom together? Mm-hmm. What are the values we say we care about the most? Life. Uh, mm-hmm. right. Immigration, whatever. Mm-hmm. How, how, what are we doing mm-hmm. besides talking and voting? Mm-hmm. I mean, how can we embody this? How can we love, um, you know, teenage mothers in our uh, in our city? How can we like yeah. those are the kinds of things that would would be incredible and I think give God a lot of glory. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think to to this point, um, there this is kind of like an adjacent conversation, but something that I'm particularly interested in is the ideas of media literacy and um, understanding mm. the rhetoric that is used upon you and the rhetoric that you use towards other people that create these fallacies as, you know, you're either or setting up these false dichotomies. That's you're either right. with us or you're against us. Um, and I think fake news. we fake news. We all do this. We all set up false dichotomies for one another. Um, and mm. they are also perpetuated upon us. And it is, uh, our responsibility to be literate of how people are influencing us, yeah. um, the techniques and um, yeah, communication styles that news or yeah. um, public voices use that win us and influence us and change our thinking um, that could be using God's name in vain. Right. Right. And so how, yeah. are, how are other voices doing that and how are we doing that towards other people? Right. Let's, let's um, out ourselves a little bit, right? Yeah. So uh, the podcast we listen to. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. we like we've we've all talked about podcasts. We have like Pod Saves America and other yeah. stuff like that. Where like th- it's a totally an echo chamber. It right? is. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a really awesome echo chamber. Yeah. But it's an echo chamber. I totally do not agree with most like a lot of what those guys say. I agree with a lot of like uh, like uh, maybe half of what they say. Yeah. But I don't listen to like conservative. Uh, political podcasts very yeah. much. I did that yeah. way early in my twenties. Right. I don't mm-hmm. do this much now. Mm-hmm. That's not a very balanced way of. of mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah. I, so I think some practical things that we could do. I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to podcasts, <laughs> but if it's the only way that you get your, you're just reinforcing what you already right. Yeah. Let me give you. John Stott had a great thing. I've done this my whole almost almost my whole adult life. He really wrote in. Um, I think it was Between Two Worlds. He talked about reading a weekly newspaper yeah. versus a mm-hmm. daily newspaper. And so mm-hmm. this John Stott mm-hmm. decades ago was like. Daily newspapers, they really warp the way you see reality based on this one little moment in time. Weekly newspapers, which is really great, they look backwards on the last week, which is reflective of spirits. Mm. Actually, they don't know it, but it's a spiritual practice, right? Right. It's actually more reflective than it is looking forward, Mm. which is what the news cycle, 24-hour news cycles, what's happening now and what's going to happen next. So I would say Mm -hmm. a really great practice that can form you over time is buy a weekly news magazine mm-hmm. like time or the economist or mm-hmm. if you want to buy two buy one that slants a little bit more i used to do newsweek and time because newsweek slanted a little bit more conservative time did a little bit more more liberal and i would read them and i would just pray through them so when there's something big happening yeah. mm-hmm. just kind of pray for it mm-hmm. the other one that someone um told me to do which i've done uh most of my adult life is uh bbc.news.bbc.org uh, mm-hmm. yes, as BBC. your home webpage mm-hmm. yeah because it's actually like a, it's close it's still western but yeah but having like like the things that are on i just remember the first time i, I was like sure i'll do it is that urbana i was like i'll do it went back after urbana and i was like what are all these like stupid stories yeah uh, that, like, that have nothing to do with like with the north <laughs> carolina yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and it was just showed my ignorance of like i mean the world is a lot of stuff's happening in the world yeah mm-hmm. those are like those are two mm-hmm. small things actually mm-hmm. That will just expand the way you're interacting with mm-hmm. information. Yeah. yeah. Are there any other ways for media literacy you, that you can think of that you've experienced, Becca, that would be helpful for us? Um, I mean, this, this I a game changer. You here, know? Here's the thing: I minored in writing and rhetoric at JMU, so I am always like, I have my hat on whether I'm listening to a more progressive podcast or not. I'm so aware of the biases. Cre- yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. The biases and the elements of um, rhetoric or persuasion that people could be pulling on me. Um, So I think just a basic understanding is going to be really helpful as we go into our different spheres and hear from all these different voices um, that 
and I know we've talked about this at third before that, but everybody has an agenda. Um, and Mm -hmm. if you're listening to CNN or Fox news, these people, their agenda is not going to be bringing about the flourishing of all human life and bringing people to Jesus Christ. Um, that's, that's not loving God with your mind. Yes. They're imbalanced for the renewal of all things. (laughs) (laughs) So I think if, if you enter into the world, um, understanding these things, that is going to be the that is like the first thing that needs to happen. I think the other thing that needs to happen is understanding your inputs, but understanding your social media algorithms and mm-hmm. how they have been set up yeah. to be echo chambers. Based on what you like, they will just continue to show you more of yeah. what you like. Um, so be skeptical. Uh, try to look for people that you don't necessarily agree with and follow them. I do that um, because I don't want to have just the same voices in my newsfeed um, telling me the same things and just offering 12 different takes on the same topic. Right. So imagine I if think we that's important. imagine and this is an, another, another thing to add to that. Imagine if we uh, read the scriptures as often as we read news feeds. Oh yeah. my goodness. So th- th- I think the word should be a huge part of this. That like, actually, gonna, yeah. what you say? Well, so, uh, this didn't necessarily go straight to media literacy, but I think one of my applications after listening to Bill and, and one thing that I've tried to do before is I think often what we do is like we we read the Bible, we like take the word of God and use it as a weapon to argue the people who we already disagree with, mm-hmm. right? Like it's like, oh, here's a new tool. And what it's I It's really think, good for that. <laughs> it is. But what I think would be a, a better way to engage politically, this is a personal opinion, but we would say like, okay, if you normally lean left or you normally lean right, what is the difference between what your preferred party says about an issue and what the Bible says about it? So how could you disagree and contribute to your party's understanding as opposed to arguing with the other side. Because I would, mm. I would bet that if you really dig in, there's going to be a difference. Like if you're mostly liberal, but you read the Bible and like, Hey, how does this jive with the democratic policy on X? You're going to come up with some gaps mm-hmm. and then you can then articulate that in a more healthy way than it is like, here's how wrong the other side is. Does yeah. That make sense? Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think the, the, the more that we're going to be able, I mean, it's, it's our political document. It's our manifesto. Right. Scripture is our manifesto. Right, and so if we want to know what it means to embody, what we're to embody, who our sovereign is, who we are as subjects, yeah. we have to know it. And but, so, yeah. biblical literacy, growing mm-hmm. alongside um, media literacy, but then also using it to correct and rebuke and shape. And I just think we're good. normally like we're that. normally nicer when we're articulating to the people we mostly agree with than when we're trying to articulate truth to people we already did. Like yeah. that becomes more combative um, when people we disagree with. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tim and Derek. Thank um, you so much, Becca. This is yeah. great. This has been a very robust discussion. And uh, yeah, we will continue talking about this, I'm sure, uh, for the months I and years. I think it's going to come up uh, again, <laughs> again. So, again and again in the American God series. I would yes. Be. I think so. Yes. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.